Hello, hello, and welcome to this, the... 16th, I reckon. 16th? Yeah, that's what I think. Ish episode of the <laughs> Weekly Watch List, another pop culture podcast brought to you as always by the good people at MGA Traffic, your one-stop shop for traffic, transport and waste. My name is Sean Peterbudge. I'm joined, as I am always, by Will Peters. Will, hello. Hello, Sean. We sound better this week. We do. Clear. It's Crystal technical. clear. I don't sound like I'm five metres away. Talking through a rusty bucket. Jeez, that was annoying. <laughs> we were just saying, we were just lamenting that we were really happy with last week's episode and to the naked eye, everything looked like it was recording really well, but it just wasn't and it sounded horrific. No, no, no. Uh, so that's a shame, but we're here to make amends this week. Um, I suppose firstly, you can follow us at uh, Watch This Weekly on Twitter. Yes. Uh, we yes, do post bits and pieces and then we obviously do reposts of the episode and the like. Get in touch with us there. Also, uh, Sean, Instagram. We are on Instagram. I was getting that. was in my notes here. Oh, boy. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of activity. You're in charge. You've got stewardship of the Instagram. I, ga- I gave you the password. Technically, I gave you the password. Yeah, and then I gave it back to you. But uh, I'm, I'm happy for you to have stewardship of the the Instagram. Yeah, but I'll, I can also just, you know, hand it over to you because I know that you're <laughs> more active on social, <laughs> like, on social media. I like the idea. Like, I'm like, you can handle Instagram and you're like – but what about you? And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I think you should do it. I'm like pushing it back your way. I just, I'm a busy man. I forget. <laughs> Are you though? I am. You busier than me? No. Jeez, that's a big call. Um, so you can follow us there. I think it's the same. It's Watch yeah. List Weekly. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure I've got the weekly watch list. I'm not actually sure. On Twitter. Uh, on Instagram. It was obviously taken. Yes. Which was fine. We need to message that page and you'd be like, hey, bitches. Give us the fucking. I think we should threaten them. Handle, yeah. Um, while you look up who or what has either weekly watch list or the weekly watch list on Twitter. So I've got the weekly watch list on Instagram. Okay, cool. Um, check out, check out who's got it on Twitter. Check out what sort of account yeah. we're up against because I'm, I'm curious as to what they're doing. Um, we're gonna, gonna blow through the news here. It's some interesting um, things. We obviously don't cover off on every single piece of news that's uh, come across the, our desks since we last recorded, but just the ones that are noteworthy to us. Rumours, Will, of a yes. new Predator film. Mm-hmm. There's always I, these rumours. I've never seen them. Any of them? Really? Not even the first one? Negative. Seriously? Correct. I don't know how many more times you can say, <laughs> I haven't seen that film. Actually? <laughs> Before it gets me, there's like one more and you'd be like, I have seen it. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah. fooled you. Ah, 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 ah. You asked the same question four times. That's how you get the answer. So you probably should watch the first one. The first one, Arnie... Is an action classic. John McTiernan directed it. Great film, great yep. classic action movie. But it is a property that, because it's relatively popular, like your Terminators of the world, uh-huh. because it's a relatively um, prominent IP, vis- visible IP, every so often we're going to get a reskin. We yep. only got a Predator film like 2018, I think it was. It wasn't very good. Right. And then we got one before that in maybe 2014. Alien versus Predator films were, you know, 2004 and I reckon maybe 07-ish. So it is a property that comes out every so often. New one coming out and I'm pleased to say, sounds okay. It sounds interesting at least. It's going to be set in the 1800s and it's going to involve the Predators coming into contact and like combat with a native, 1800s. Yeah, with a Native American tribe. So I was going to say, if they're shooting muskets at these fucking aliens, it's just like... <laughs> they're in for a long day. So now they've got, what, bow and arrows. So, But I like the idea, at least. I like the idea that Predator 2 sort of teased it, where Danny Glover's character at the end goes into the Predator ship yeah. and they give him like an old style... It's like a revolver, I think. Okay. Like, but, right. So they've been coming here and, and the films have established that these Predators have been coming here for centuries, yes. yeah. millennia. 
And just it's a rite of passage thing where a group of them come, not just to our planet, but to every planet. They you know get into a fight with the locals. Mm-hmm. So at least, I don't know, I don't mind the idea that at least they're going to try something different. Yeah. So at the moment, the premise that's been reported is the Predators battle or do battle with a Native American tribe. Um, the central protagonist will be a woman. It sounds very Mulani, where yep. she's she's a woman, but she wants to prove that you know, in this patriarchal system... By being a man. She can right. take them on and yep. blah, blah. So you're like, look, as I said, on the surface at least, and mm-hmm. as somebody who doesn't mind the Predator films, I'm like, you know what? It's it's something different. I'm going to yep. give it to you. It's something different. Sounds a bit like Cowboys and Aliens meets Mulan, but it's yep. like, okay, I'll what give you that. What a crossover. <laughs> the one we've been waiting for. Um, <laughs> the other one here, work behind the scenes continues. I thought I dreamt this and I saw this okay. reported and I was like, what? I genuinely thought that was a dream <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. Disney Plus uh, work continues on a reboot of Willow. Have you ever seen Willow? It's like a ripoff of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Stars no, Warwick Davis. But it rings a bell. Classic, you know, Val Kilmer's in it. Yeah. Um, late 80s, directed by Ron Howard, you know, sci-fi fantasy film. Um, they're doing a semi-sequel sort of TV show for Disney+. And why this is noteworthy is it's actually the first non-Star Wars property that Disney will be producing from, like, the Lucasfilm buyout. So they obviously True. got Willow as part of the Lucasfilm buy. Yeah, definitely never seen it. And it's the first, like, non-Star Wars property that they're actually sort of actively developing for a release. My only concern is no mention at the moment of Val Kilmer's Mad Mardigan. Right. It was like the hero character and it's fucking amazing. Like he's such a great character. Yeah. No mention of him. He has to be in it. <laughs> if Mad Mardigan isn't in this, we Willow fans fucking riot. Yeah. We will burn Disney to the ground. <laughs> Start with California Adventure and work our Dude, way into Disney. the main <laughs> work our way into the main park. Um, um on the on the Twitter handle front I legitimately looked up the weekly at the weekly watch list. We went go to mm-hmm. doesn't come up with anything. Really? So I would maybe we can swoop on in. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we can try that. Um, I'll do that when you're giving me your first watch of the week. Yes. Is that is that all for your news? No, I got some more. No, excellent. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Universal Studios Japan have dated the opening of Super Nintendo World. I saw that. Yes. yes. Looks pretty much exactly as you think it would. Yeah. Have you seen the video? <laughs> it, it looks, there's actually a quirky moment where I was like, it kind of looks like a video game. I'm not I'm sure if. In the video. I'm not yeah. sure if this is real life or if you're showing me an animatic. <laughs> there's a lot happening. The, the showstopper will be there's a, a Mario Kart ride. Yeah. I'm actually staggered this hasn't. It's 2021, February, February 4th. Yeah. Nintendo's been a pretty big deal for like. 35 years yeah. prior to this release. It's maybe they were just, I don't know, waiting. Maybe they had all these like games and whatever in the pipeline and they were just like, maybe we'll just hold off a little until well, the technology is well, a bit better. And They seem pretty steadfast on just making the same six games every five <laughs> years. So it just seemed odd that they wouldn't make this theme park and in all, in all of all places, yeah. Japan. Yes. Um, but it looks like it ticks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit there and go, if you find yourself in Japan, yeah, it's probably one of those things that most people will go, go check it out. Disney World in Japan? Yes. Tokyo. Tokyo. Tokyo yes. Disney. Um, so this is at Universal Studios yeah. in Japan. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the big showstopper will be the, the Mario Kart ride. It'll be interesting to get a look at that when they actually show it sort of in action. Line up four hours, five hours. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's. Have you been to one of those big theme parks? Only Gold Coast. Yeah. When you go to like Disneyland, it's actually quite – you could go off peak. Yeah. The best theme park I've ever been to, I went to Euro Disney, right. Disneyland Paris as they call it now. 
and because it was like February. Yeah. If you want to go on Star, what is it? Um, Space Mountain, but they called it. It was like a Star Wars skin, so they called Space it Space Mountain. They called it uh, Hyper Space Mountain. Um, <laughs> you could basically just go on it as often as you liked. Right. It was brilliant. Like yep. you could literally, you sit down, you go on it, and then you just go to the attendant. I want to go again. Can I just go again? And they yeah. go, yeah, yeah, just stay in there. Because there's no lines. Yeah. Fantastic. You go to Disneyland in the US on peak, you're waiting four hours to go that. on like the teacups. Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. It's just, it's the most, you get these fast passes so yeah. you can come back later, but you can't get more than one fast pass at a time. Stupid. Silly so anyway, um, Tokyo or wherever it is, I don't know where it is. It's in Japan somewhere. <laughs> might be Osaka. Might be yeah. Kyoto. <laughs> Kyoto. Might be Fukushima. Arigato uh, Not sure. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Will, did you see this? No. Andy Samberg has spoken about the new season okay. and how uh, the new season will address the place that Brooklyn Nine-Nine's characters as police officers hold in the world contemporarily. There was a bit of a report on this recently. Are they, are they going super PC? Well, it's tricky because you might have you might have seen the, the skirmishes mid-year in the States. There was a, there was a bit of a hoo-ha. Um, <laughs> really? What? <laughs> what? When did that happen? Uh, they had written quite a few scripts apparently, right. which they've thrown out yeah. supposedly. Because they can't, this year. They, they can't just ignore yeah. what's happened. So, look, that'll be interesting. However, oh, Sandberg did say something I liked. He goes, quoting him, if you're looking for a half-hour comedy show to be the thing that solves this problem, we're in trouble. And I thought that, that was a relief. As a fan of the show, I was yeah. like, that's a relief because it's not up to Brooklyn Nine-Nine to solve systemic racism no. and police brutality yeah. in America. It's, it's not up to them to have to do that, to carry that burden. And moreover... Really leaning heavily into it is a bit of a high wire act for a comedy show. Yeah, you, you can't totally. You have to acknowledge it. Yeah, but you can't get bogged down in it being the type of show that they are. Yes, because then they become law and order. Yeah, and and that's just not what they are. So, I did like that politically they have to say something, but it's not up to them exactly to fix the problem. Yeah, so that was interesting. Sandberg spoke about that new season. Would probably be early next year, I reckon. Probably based yeah. on the, the scheduling of last season, yep. um, season eight. Uh, I just saw this one today. Matthew Vaughan, um, who's probably most known for uh, did the Kingsman movies, he did uh, X Men First Class. Mm-hmm. He's, he's done quite a few good movies. Um, he and Doug Allen, who was a producer and creator of Entourage, have teamed up to produce Day Ones, which is being pitched as an Entourage style show, but about soccer. Okay. Um, Thierry Henry well, like be producing. A player. Well, who knows, yeah. And then his entourage. Yeah, no one's really sure if it's a team right. or an individual player. You'd think it'd be like a market, like a one of the bigger biggest players in the world and then like his manager is maybe fucking best friends. It's or hard because we spoke quite a while ago about um, uh, Ted Lasso, yeah. which is a very saccharine old style American after school. Like yeah. it, I, I really enjoyed it, but yeah. I, I don't really know why. Cause it's a very, my old dad did the same thing. He watched it and he weird. was like, he was like, it's really good, but I, I don't, don't know why. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it's just cause he's a really likable. Uh-huh. Jason Sudeikis yeah. is a really likable actor. He's got a lot of charisma. The character's likable and it's, it's really easily consumable fluff. You watch it and then you go, okay, that was good. And it's not heavy. You not doesn't linger on you. Yeah. But with that coming out and that being about a team and the manager and some players, I wonder if that affects Vaughn and Allen's 
thinking on something like this? Is yep. it going to be the entourage format works? Yeah, a player and yeah. his team, yeah. or is it the team? Mm. A couple of key players are the stars. Yeah. That's, so that that's something to watch. Potentially interesting. And then one that caught my eye here, Army Hammer. Are you familiar with Army's work? No. He's an actor. Um, he's fronting a 10-episode event series from Paramount Plus about the making of The Godfather. He will play the producer of the films Al Ruddy. Uh, what a weird project. What a niche project. How weird. And this is, we spoke about a film like Mank a couple it's weeks a ago. It's a series of the making of and he plays someone. The producer. He's not even playing, like, he, he, he wouldn't play Coppola because he looks nothing like Francis Ford Coppola. But what a strange, so odd. strange concept for a 10-episode TV show. Yeah. 10 episodes. Weird. But inside baseball, Hollywood making films about Hollywood or TV shows about Hollywood is always interesting, that behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. style yeah, yeah, yeah. peek behind the curtain. So it's a strange film to make a show about because yeah. the first Godfather film came out in 72 so you're like, it's a fucking brilliant movie. Don't get me wrong. But, man, it'll be like 50 years old by the time this thing comes out. Yeah, odd. Strange, strange project, but mm. I will watch it because I'm an absolute mark for that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then lastly for me, um, obviously sad to see the, the passing of David Prowse, who played the – he was the physical uh, Darth Vader. Yes, actually. The actor yes. inside the suit. Yes. So he obviously played him for the first three films – um, and just, he was 85 years old. So, I mean, look, an absolutely iconic, he didn't have any, um, oh, I'm going to touch on this later, obviously didn't have any speaking, any lines in the yeah. film. He had a couple cameos here and there, but uh, a huge part of those films' success was his presence and his physicality, and um, he made that character kind of on screen at least. Yeah. James Earl Jones' voice was of course. unbelievable, yeah. but on screen at least he gave him a real presence and a, a real sense of, Holy shit. Yeah. Which is funny though. You'd think that you'd, they'd just be able to like put anyone in there, like you or me, and just have like, you know, an American football like padding great story. style sort of thing. That's a great point. And just like, but the fact that they obviously just got someone that was just like. He was just this British guy yeah. and they were shooting in, in England. And when they were doing Empire Strikes Back, Peter Mayhew, who was Chewbacca, yeah. um, <laughs> Jonas uh, Swatatamo is Chewbacca now, yeah. very tall man. But he. Something happened to Peter Mayhew. He, he was ill. He was unable to perform for a couple of days. Right. For what I can't remember yeah, the yeah. reasons. So they got a stand-in and they watched it back and they were like, it's not right. Like they, they watched the dailies back and they said, nothing against the guy who's doing it. He's just, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. running around and whatever. He goes, the, his physicality's wrong yeah. and it's actually noticeable. Yeah. It looks like it's someone else. So when Peter Mayhew was healthy, it was only a couple of days. Yeah. They went back and did those. Scenes again because mm. they were like it's just uh, it's not yeah. working. Nah. So it's a funny that's a that's a good example of yeah. yeah just get anyone to do it and you're like well not anyone yeah so yeah. that was obviously sad to see but 85 years old obviously a fantastic career mm-hmm. did a whole bunch of stuff in England and, yep. and the like and obviously known forever as Darth Vader which is a pretty good thing to hang your hat Vader. on. Did yeah. you have any news? Um, oh yeah, we just uh, the last I guess over the last two weeks there was the Grammys and the Arias. I had no idea. I vaguely heard of the Arias happening. Yeah. Grammys. Um, no. Our boy, Kid Leroy. Kid Leroy. Was nominated three times. Takashi 69? <laughs> no. Is he for, No, not for Grammy, for Arias. Obviously, he is an Australian boy. Um, didn't win anything, which is fucking crock of shit. 
Who won? Um, so who took his awards? Uh, not fucking rookie of the year. What's newcomer or whatever they call it in the breakout Irish. artist? Breakout or something, artist. Yeah. Uh, the Triple J band, Lime Cordial, who uh, have definitely been breaking out for the last two or three years. Just saying. I've heard of them. Yeah, um, just two brothers from Sydney with a band behind them, and they're good. Like I'll give it to them. I've I have a couple of their songs on my Spotify, but like Kid Leroy is blowing up mm-hmm. in America. You'd think, or obviously Australian Award, maybe you look for it like primarily Australian. But then again, he hasn't got an album yet. He's just got two EPs, I believe. Um, so yeah, and then Grammys for years has been talked about that. It's just like the whole way it's all worked out and who wins is just a joke. Um, and again, there's all these artists this year that were just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know who votes on the Grammys. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't is know. Is it like Absolutely. a – so at least with the Oscars, it's the Academy. Yeah. So if you're a member of the Academy, you vote. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure who votes for the Grammys, but there was a lot, a lot of disappointed artists oh. um, just being, you know, miscategorized in certain things and – they release an album in a certain for a certain genre, but it gets categorised as something else. Um, it's the all Australian problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Where it's like we want to nominate Beyonce. Yeah. But and like there was one year where for they years feel compelled. Like you know, you remember Macklemore, surely I do. Yeah. Um, when he he had like two three years where he was just on fire. It's a big just, deal. Uh, he came over to the NRL Grand Final and he did. played that same love song, whatever it is, um, where all the conservative league followers were just like, oh, how, how dare, dare you? <laughs> Sully our game. Full this of is not sex- a gay game. Because <laughs> <laughs> we like our players sexually assaulting people. Um, he, like, yeah, he won out, like rap album of the year when Jay-Z released an album, Kanye West released an album, Drake released an like pillars of... Rap and hip hop, they just got like pushed to the side, and they were they were great albums that year as well. And he mm. just uh, he came through with this like one album that did well because it touched so many bases. It's just like what it 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 didn't make sense. Still doesn't make sense. I do um, find it funny though when act artists, particularly artists, actors, actors, I find are perhaps a little bit different because they're obviously getting nominated for a role, yeah, a performance, yeah, whereas. It's similar but different, but but an artist, for instance, someone like Jay Z, Kanye West, Drake, yeah, the guys you mentioned, they shouldn't give a shit about not winning a Grammy. No, they should really, realistically, yeah, they should go. Who fucking cares? The only then thing I mean, some I'm not, sort of no, but I'm not interested. No, but why would he be interested? It's not even critical validation. Critical validation is a review. Commercial validation is sales. So it's like, so long as the album fucking sells. That's my priority. Yeah, but going into your next deal, record deal, whatever, you'd be like, I want a Grammy last time. I need an extra $10 million. But what if they're like, such and such sold more than you? Macklemore sold more records. Yeah, well, I got a Grammy. <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't get any money from the Grammy. He's got all the homos. <laughs> <laughs> should write a song about, damn it. Um, so... Okay, so that was your takeaway from the, um, the yeah. Arias and the Grammys? Crocker shit. Crocker shit. Arias and Grammys. Okay. Yeah. Left us in no uncertain Plus, terms where you're placed on that. I think the Arias need a new trophy. It's just old. It's boring. That Is it still the bikey thing? Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't mind it. The problem with the Arias is there's no prestige at all. Yeah. With winning an Aria. It's like a Logie. Especially this year, it was fucking Delta Goodrum and Guy Sebastian 
hosting and it was like a virtual one and there was <laughs> yeah it's just an amy shark won a bunch of shit and oh. some other chick that just like whines about being lonely yeah yeah so that's my news okay good stuff good stuff uh well i'll lead us off with my first pick of the week because mm-hmm. uh, i think that you went first last time not sure. that there's a hard and fast rule about that mm. um i haven't talked about this on the pod yet because i was waiting for this opportunity the Mandalorian season two. You talked about this every week. <laughs> no, but I haven't talked about a specific episode because right. I've been waiting <laughs> for this episode. So, The Mandalorian season two, chapter 13, but it's episode five of the second season. Super episode. It's with Star Wars jumping around and making bloody seasons, episodes, episode movies, episodes. Bit of fun. <laughs> Just go with it. So, what we've this particular I've been a bit of a critic, if you will, of the Mandalorian. I've enjoyed it on the whole. Yes. Like most episodes I've enjoyed. Yeah. Even even episodes has been one or two particularly that have been panned. And that happens in TV. Yeah. Not every episode's a winner. I've enjoyed each episode more or less on the whole. I have, however, been a little bit critical of some of the narrative choices with mm-hmm. how slowly certain things have played out or how plot threads will be abandoned for several episodes. And yeah, you're yeah. like Say, for instance, at the end of episode one of this season, Boba Fett was teased. And you're like, oh, cool. But yep. he hasn't been seen on screen since. It's been mm-hmm. four episodes. <laughs> and you're like, other aspects of the overall narrative have stagnated a little bit. Yep. But as a fan of Star Wars and as a fan of the show generally, I forgive these because I, I tend to enjoy the episodes. This was super. Super. Fantastic lore payoffs for what's what's happened in other shows as well as the seasons so far of this show and great setups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that pace has been somewhat meandering as I alluded to, but when an episode is so rife with this really sweet stuff, yep. you go, great, fucking fantastic. And this is what this has. Baby Yoda got a name. So he's now known as Grogu. People were like, what kind of name is that? And you're like, it's a fucking made-up Star Wars name. It's fine. <laughs> Grogu. It's Grogu. It's like it's totally, totally fine. Yeah. Like as soon as I said Grogu, I was like, yeah, I'll buy that. So, excuse my ignorance. Yes. But is Baby Yoda not Yoda? He's just no, a. No, so he's a, he's a baby of Yoda's species. Right. I thought he was Baby Yoda. No, so this was. So this happens five years after Return of the Jedi. Okay. So. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> yes, it, all, it all clicks together. <laughs> um, and it was revealed that Grogu was actually at the Jedi Temple during the time of the Clone Wars, yeah. and he was taken from the temple by someone and hidden, and in the 22, 23 years since that happened, he's actually sort of a little bit like Luke did in, right. in the later films, sort of withdrawn from the Force and he's forgotten how to use it. So Grogu's not a Jedi. So Grogu was being trained to become right. a Jedi, okay. but since being taken and hidden, he hasn't trained, he hasn't been taught. So he's actually, his powers have diminished okay. and his control has diminished. Because it's obviously like anything, it's you hone your connection to the force and that's what gives yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. the focus and the power and uh, the strength, uh, 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 uh. etc. Um, I love there was like even little things like um, his armour, uh, the Mandalorian's armour <coughs> is made of um, Beskar, which is this, mineral, this element that's like a Mandalorian gold. Yeah, yeah. Beskar. It's, Beskar is strong enough to withstand lightsabers. Yeah. So you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing. That's obviously a little tip of the hat. He can then take on people later in the show because he gets this particular weapon. Um, And the big, big payoff was the arrival of Ahsoka Tano, 
So Ahsoka Tano was a very controversial character, was introduced in the 2008 Clone Wars film, which was not very good. Mm -hmm. And controversial because she was set up and injected into the story as like Anakin's Padawan. Uh And you're sort of going, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, Over the course of the Clone Wars show and then later Rebels, she has become one of the best characters in the whole property. Did you see your tweet about this? She's an outstanding character. And to see her finally show up in live action... Um, Rosario Dawson plays her and that was always a fan casting fantasy that Rosario yeah. Dawson should play Ahsoka absolutely brilliant it's fantastic to see this character on screen finally the one thing I will say <laughs> the, the the first scene of the episode is such a good scene just so badly directed yeah so basically the premise is there are these marauders these like soldiers yeah, yeah. retreating through the woods you know, firing at something, retreating through the woods back to the, the wall, the city wall. Yeah. And it's revealed they're being pursued by Ahsoka. Yeah. Ahsoka's got her lightsabers. A normal, like if I was directing that scene, you get the script and you go, okay, lots of shots of them running. You don't see what they're firing at, panicked, her snatching them in the through the mist in the clouds. She's this, she's an apparition, she's a phantom. You can't see what this, yeah. what's attacking them. We don't know what it is. You hear sounds of a lightsaber, you hear sounds of them firing on something, and then the blasters go dead. All this stuff to build up to a big reveal. Yeah. It's Ahsoka. And fans would be like, fucking yes. No, you just see her face two seconds into the episode. <laughs> and you go, oh, it's Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, I suppose. <laughs> but when the scene ends with um, when the scene ends with this lady called the magistrate, who's like the ruler of this small village, yeah. who's got this village under the thumb, says, Reveal yourself, you're like, just dolly around her. Yeah. And she takes the cloak off and it's Ahsoka. And you're like, fucking yes. But no, we'll just show you it's Ahsoka. Boop, it's okay. With Boop, a nice okay. medium shot of her face. <laughs> like <laughs> two seconds into the episode. But yeah. look, awesome setup. She mentions Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is an enemy in Rebels. So another great character, which was um, created by a man named Timothy Zahn. And he was brought into Rebels, um, was displaced through time, and is now in this era. Mm-hmm. Ezra, who's a character from Rebels as well, was yep. um, sort of alluded to, which is outstanding. And there's the potential for, if they execute it, for Luke Skywalker. Because Luke's out there trying to restart the Jedi Order at this in this period of time. How old is he in this period well, of time? Well, it's five years after Return of the Jedi. So you'd okay. be like 30. Okay. So the long-standing rumour is Sebastian Stan yes, to play a young yeah, Luke yeah, Skywalker. Yeah. But there's all these setups where you go, where you want to take this show now as a spiritual sequel to Rebels, which was fantastic. You've introduced Ahsoka, you've introduced Bo-Katan, you've introduced the Darksaber, which was like Mandalorian Excalibur. Yeah. Um, a, a particular character has yeah, that yeah, at the yeah. moment. And you're sitting there going, all this stuff is fucking great. Yeah. So I'm excited. You go, where do you go from here? More about the baby Yoda, Grogu stuff as to who hit him, who took him from the temple, yeah. etc. The stuff with Ahsoka, where will they find Thrawn? You know, where have they been, et cetera? How do they fit into the broader narrative? Because my big bugbear with um, the sequel trilogy is that all the interesting stuff in that story happened before the story began. Mm. So you look at where The Force Awakens begins and you're like, how do we get, hey, hold on a minute. How did we get to here? <laughs> yeah. How did Luke get to where he is? Yeah. How did the New Republic get to where it is? How did the First Order get to where it is? Mm-hmm. I've always had an issue with that. I think it... That one is get off track. They really fucked up the power dynamics. The first order should have been like twelve guys. Yeah, it should have been a terrorist group. 
led by the son of Han and Leia, trained by Luke. And he's not a big army, doesn't have big starships. He's just a terrorist attacking, you know, trying to kill the leader of the galaxy, trying to kill Luke Skywalker, trying to, you know. I think they really got that off. They just got that wrong. Yeah. And it really fucked up the balance of the films. But this taking place when it does opens up a whole range of possibilities as to what's been happening, what happened after this to set up what comes next. Yeah. So it's really exciting. Obviously, it airs every Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just got some cool shit in it. Like Michael Bain, who played Kyle Reese in Terminator, he he was in it as like a marshal in this outlaw town. Yeah. And there's cool talk callbacks to like he and the Mandalorian have like a shootout in the street, like a Western, mm. which is like he's rolled in Tombstone. <laughs> there's some fun shit like in Aliens where these, um, these droids are hunting Ahsoka around the village. Yep. It was a cool throwback to Aliens and Michael Bain in that, which was good fun. Um, there was a Loath Cat, which was from Rebels, which was great. And I don't know what I mean. I just, I'm just so excited about you know, a lot of stuff, whether it be the long-standing, the, the Obi-Wan series, which is meant to be coming out either next year or the year after, um, which should have some great stuff like this in it, expanding the lore. And then just the possibilities. Like I sat there when the episode ended and thought, there's a setup here for multiple avenues well there's a setup here for ahsoka tano to meet anakin's son Mm. and be told he died in the light because she at the last time she saw anakin he was darth vader yeah and he was consumed by the dark and she'd lost her master and her friend and she would obviously have heard that he has died but i just know from an emotional standpoint there's an awesome story to be told about her meeting his son and being told he died as a Jedi and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Obviously don't let her know about Luke becoming disenfranchised with the Force and throwing it all away, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I loved it. It was a fantastic episode. Absolutely loved it to bits and can't wait to see where it goes next. Nice. Nice. Um, well, my number one this week is a show that's been talked about on a couple uh, podcasts I listen to and watch, uh, Gangs of London. Heard of it. Um, on So it's a Sky original, uh, released this year. Uh, it's on Stan exclusively over here. Um, basically follows the head of, uh, well, it follows London's mo- one of London's most powerful uh, crime families and the head of it is assassinated in the first episode. It, it's That's not a spoiler. You see it happening. It does say um, in the synopsis. Exactly, yeah. So... And then it basically just follows the uh, struggles with the oldest son or just one of the sons. I'm not sure which – there's two sons. I'm not sure which one's older. Um, str- str- he just struggles with the power control and all the different uh, – because they are so rich and so powerful, they own a lot of the kind of illegal operations going on in um, in wider Europe. Uh, it's got uh, Joe Cole from Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. And what I, I think they've essentially just remade a modern Peaky Blinders. It's gruesome, it's full of crime, action. Well, he's um, the, I just looked it up. As soon as I saw the name, Gareth Evans, he did The the Raid. Yeah. Which is like a legendary modern action film. Yeah. So I was kind of like... The action scenes are so good. Yeah. Like, they're, like, wh- whoever's, yeah. It's a bit of pe- high... Um, the people that have done this know how to do action scenes. It's, it's a bit of high unbelievable. Europe for action, like with John Wick and... Yeah. The raid. It's like wait, it sh- it doesn't need to be as gory as it is, but it's perfect. It's unbelievable. Have you seen those new, particularly the last Rambo film, Rambo Last yeah. Blood? Yeah, 
it's the most gruesome thing. You're just <laughs> you're like, like yeah, Jesus. It's so yeah. gratuitously over the top. Um, the kind of, I guess, co-star, uh, don't know how to say his name, Sope Derisu. He essentially plays, you find this out in episode two or three, um, he plays an undercover cop and he's kind of made his way into this crime family. They, I'm only four episodes in, they don't know that he's undercover. A dangerous life. Um, and he's at the point where he's got the coppers saying, you know, if you're getting into, tra- into trouble, blow the cover, get out. <laughs> but then he's like, nah, I'm in, I can do, we can do it. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, really, really good 50 minute episodes. I could have smashed this out in a day, but I had shit to do. Um, <laughs> Clearly. 10 episodes, season one. Uh, and it's, yeah, very, very good. The age of the limited series, man, it's well and truly upon us. Yeah. It really is. Stuff like The Sopranos really kind of kicked it off years and years and years ago. Yeah. And then you obviously had more recently your, your, uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know. uh, Mad Men was sort of before that again, but that really super premium, now it's all, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Like the, fir- the first scene of this is uh, the, the, the son, he's on top of one of the buildings that he's, his father's company is building um, and he's got some, got some guy tied to a rope covered in fuel. It's not where you want to be. Sets him alight, falls off a tower flaming. It's, and it's just not like, where you want to be. Okay, this is going to London. Sick. These guys mean business. Yeah. Wow. But <laughs> um, uh, he must look whatever he did. He obviously deserved it. Exactly. But, um, great, even, great series but so even far. Even like tying it back to like the Mandalorian, yeah. a lot of people have been saying that's like the future of Star Wars. People were kind of a bit skeptical that it's a, Star Wars is a cinema product. You know, like the Mar- Avengers. It'd be interesting yeah. when WandaVision comes out. Yes. You're like, no, that's like a, that's a, that's a cinema. That's a, you go and you pay and you mm. experience the whole gamut of going to the cinema and the quality is, and you sit there and go, these shows are starting to bridge that gap mm. between what people expected when they go to the cinema, both in terms of the way a film looks, because that was always the big gap, the way TV looks, the way film looks, or digital technology has yeah. cut that. TV shows like used to be filmed to a cassette. Yeah, it's like you're getting four or five. You're getting four or five movies in a season. But this is the thing. So like the quality. If, is if you so think high. of an old TV show, not like a like a premium kind of tire style yeah. TV show, they still used to be filmed to a to a tape. Yeah. And the quality of that is dynamic range. Yeah, we don't yeah, like yeah. get technical, but blah, blah blah. Whereas now, like I've got a camera, which has got fifteen stops of dynamic range in it. You just go and buy it from Ted's. <laughs> And yeah. you go, this is what these shows are making. These, these, you know, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want. You can make them look and feel, and you can get yourself a LUT pack and, you know, make it look like a, like a movie. Mm. Um, and when big studios start doing that, yeah, you start getting crazy quality. Yeah. Like it's just so nuts. much money behind it. You can just make things so much better. And then COVID, I think it's going to take a while for the cinema industry to really recover. Yeah, definitely. Like it's going to take, We've spoken about it a little bit, but big blockbuster films are probably okay because there's mm. going to be a market to go to the cinema to see. But those ones that were like, ah, oh, we'll uh, put it in the cinema, we, they were straight, straight to we, fucking Netflix. They're straight to Netflix, <laughs> straight to HBO Max, yeah, yeah, straight yeah. to – and studios might see the value that we don't have to share the profits. We make the film or the product to go straight to our streaming platform. Mm. You pay to get it from us, so we still get the money. Yeah. But it's, I think it's going to be a shift. Like the Red Lena Media guys, it was interesting. I, I watched um, 
I don't know what they were reviewing, but it was after, maybe it was before Endgame, I think maybe, I can't remember what the film was, it was just an old episode that played on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really good show, Half in the Bag. And these guys were great, like one of them, Mike, goes, I think Endgame might be the last big blockbuster film. And he sort of, it's funny, like you think about yeah. it now, he said that over a year ago. He said that in early, or well, early 2019, late 2018. And I know it's easy to say with the way COVID's gone, but you're like, fucking might be right. Because when these blockbusters come out, they all get- Whatever happened to Avatar 2? Still coming, apparently, and 3, and 4, and 5. No one cares. No one wants them. I think it'll oh. be, that'll be, that'll be an interesting test. Because yeah. that film was- an ex- so big. That film was an extraordinary success. $2.7 billion worldwide, the biggest yeah. film of all time till Endgame. But it's not very good. When I was younger, I liked it. But it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But you're, everyone's kind of like, how the fuck did this film get so big? The hype around it was just The insane. hype around it was unbelievable. This is the best film ever. But it was Shot like so well. James <sighs> Cameron's first film in 12 years. And yeah. it was like the average person on the street wouldn't fucking know who James Cameron is. They know his movies. Yeah. But that was a good example of Endgame comes out. Endgame's this unbelievable, just era-defining mm. blockbuster piece of If you cinema. hadn't seen it in the first week, you're fucking like you weren't going to Unbelievable experience, fantastic yeah. cap or everything. But yeah. you just went... In the old days, whether it's Star Wars after Jaws, Indiana Jones after Star Wars, E.T. after Indiana Jones, et cetera, et cetera, Jurassic Park, Independence mm. Day, the list goes on. They were all judged against each other mm-hmm. and the ante kept on going up and like the blockbuster films kept getting bigger and you're just like, I don't think anything could be bigger than this. Yeah. Like how does something get bigger than that? Especially now. Everything else feels small. Yeah. So do you embrace that and do you – like Star Wars, do they do more TV stuff where the scale is smaller and it's more intimate and they don't have to be yeah. big blockbusters? But I have heard of Gangs in London. I have heard good things. I reckon you'd like it. I might, uh, I might give it a watch. Yeah. Uh, number two Damn. for me this week is something that I absolutely love and I got thrown down this rabbit hole um, on Disney Plus because obviously watching The Mandalorian, it popped up, you know, you might like. Mm-hmm. Empire of Dreams. Now, I have seen this documentary legitimately 10 times. I throw it on in the background. Uh, sometimes I do genuinely watch it all the way through. But I, I think I might have seen this. But I rewatched movie. it uh, this past week because I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it to death. So uh, it, was a f- it is genuinely one of the finest feature-length making of documentaries I've ever seen. Um, some of the Lord of the Rings ones used to be really, really yeah, good. Yeah. They were always great value. Uh, this was made to commemorate or to accompany the 2004 DVD release of the original Star Wars trilogy. So it was the first DVD release and you got obviously the three films and the, one of the big selling points was this two and a half hour mm. doco. Yeah. And you went, most people sort of went, if you rushed out and bought the set, you were like, I've seen the films, I've seen the films plenty. Yeah. So I watched the doco. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Unbelievable. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, basically covers the making of the original trilogy from conception, not even before conception, from how George Lucas arrived at the idea, wrote it up, pitched it, how Hollywood received it, who decided to make it to back the project, how it became a reality, casting, shooting, the unprecedented success, and then obviously everything that flowed on after that. Um, It just covers 
covers everything. Covers Lucas's vision and how he changed the medium, both in terms of on screen and, and how blockbusters were conceived. And he absolutely did. Like Jaws was two years earlier, yeah. And Jaws was a big movie, massive movie. But whilst it inspired potentially bigger summer films, Star Wars created the summer blockbuster. Yeah. That from May to probably July. In America, that's like high movie season and every film, every studio in town, what's our big summer film every year? So in terms of changing the business, he changed so many aspects of the business, but the, probably the biggest one is economically. Mm. Uh, and this film covers that. It's great. They talk to 20th Century Fox heads of production, producers. They talk to um, you know, Walter Cronkite, who's a legendary uh, American news anchor who's interviewed about the context of the time mm. before Star Wars. Um, they speak about ILM, which created the effects, which were just groundbreaking, and you know how they went from literally not existing to existing to make this film, to creating the technology to make this film. They cover all that, which is just fantastic. You know, Ben Burt's sound design, how he came up with all the, all the iconic sounds. One of the unsung heroes of Star Wars, Gary Kurtz, was the producer. Every good film needs a good producer. Someone to just steer the production. Mm. They're not running the show, no. but they're playing a really important role in, I think one of Lucas's problems more recently with the prequel trilogy was outstanding idea. Like you nut, you nut out the idea for the prequel trilogy and you're like, fucking great idea. Like great plot line. Yeah. Like how do we get to, how do we get to where we started this story? Like, mm. yes, that is interesting. But a good producer would... Challenge him more. Yeah. And challenge some of the ideas. Challenge the execution. Challenge him directing the films because he's not a director. Yeah. You know, that's what a producer does. And Gary Kurtz was enormous in that. And he's spoken to John Williams' score, obviously, and probably one of my favourite figures in Star Wars history, Ralph McQuarrie, who is the illustrator, the artist. I've got a big double edition Ralph McQuarrie art book. Mm -hmm. um, fucking ridiculous. Some of the stuff he did, yeah. like just creating this extraordinary world just from his mind's eye. They speak to him. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't think you have to like Star Wars to appreciate a story that's this well told. Yeah, of course. Um, if you like Star Wars, you'll love it. If you just like sort of really in-depth looks at how things come together, mm. um, it's beautifully put together. I, like every time I watch it, I'm blown away. Like I said, I've, I would have watched it 10 times yeah. at least. Um, it is absolutely fantastic documentary. Empire of Dreams. It used to actually be on YouTube, so you can probably track it down there. Probably, yeah. I was actually just thinking, surely it's on YouTube. If not, um, Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal. Love it to death. Uh, and it won't be the last time I watch it. <laughs> so that's my second to pick of this it, week. I guess to watch a document, there wouldn't be a lot of people that would say, yeah, I've watched this documentary like a documentary is like, oh, I've watched it once, now I know the facts. I'm going to talk to you about one of those soon. Yeah. It is. It's. I think that there's just so much like that is so enduring yeah. about the Star Wars property and, and to kind of to kind of go back to when it was nothing and mm. very few people had faith in it and to sort of – it's just one of cinemas, one of media's great like lightning rods, the whole thing. You think about – stuff that comes out in this day and age, like there will probably never be anything else like it. Because yeah. there can't be, just because of the way the media landscape is. Like it's, yeah. And that's a shame, but just the reality. Mm. It's funny, like my parents will watch something, like we'll watch something as a family from 60s, 70s, 70s, 80s. Um, and 
mum and dad will sit there and go, oh, when this came out, oh, it's just, oh, like, I've had, like, the only evolution I've really had is going from, like, Lion King animation to, like, Incredibles animation mm. into live action, which is like, yeah. But then, like. You just take for granted. Yeah. But then, like, back then it went from, like, literally black and white to colour to, like, animation. Like, wow. Like, there's the this, there's a great moment in that 70s show, one of the very early episodes of that 70s show. Yeah. They went to see Star Wars and Red, the dad, Eric Eric Foreman's dad. Yeah. Um, like, they, they went to see it. The kids went to see it and they're, like, blown away. Yeah. And then, like, Red doesn't get it. Doesn't get it, doesn't get it. Yeah. And then the last bit of the episode is him and Kitty and Donna's parents. I think they go to see the film. Right. And they're sitting there and, like, they're just sitting in the cinema. And you hear the fanfare in the background and the film starts. And Red goes... I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's like, holy shit. <laughs> it's like this great moment of he, even this cynical old man's yeah. like, fuck. <laughs> you know, as the big Star Destroyer goes overhead, he's yeah. like, oh, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Who made this? There's a great story James Cameron tells where he's like, um, most people in the street, of course, as I said earlier, wouldn't recognise James Cameron. No. Um, but James Cameron tells his story about wanting to be a director and wanting to be a filmmaker. And he said, part of me, when I went to see Star Wars, it was in part of me was like, holy shit, like someone's done it. Mm. Like someone's fucking wow. This is unbelievable. He goes, but then part of me was like, fuck, someone's done it. Yeah. Because I wanted to be the one to sort of fuck, get cinema to this place. Mm. But he uh, obviously would do Terminator seven years later and Aliens two years after that, et cetera. But no, look, Empire Dreams, outstanding doco. Really, really highly recommend it for anyone who, who kind of likes that um, holistic look at well, it's not even, it's really hard to describe because it's from everything yeah. that went into making these movies. Nice, nice. Uh, well, my second pick is a movie called, actually, uh, if you follow us on the weekly or what weekly watch list, watch this weekly on, on Twitter. Um, did you ever do that on my first pick or were you too busy l- listening to me? I'm going to do it now. Excellent. Um, I, it was one of the uh, movies that I announced I was watching. Uh, Motherless Brooklyn. Have you seen this, Sean? I've heard of the title. Written and directed by Edward Norton. That um, might be why I heard of it. Yeah. So uh, it's based in 1950s New York. A lonely private detective afflicted with Tourette's syndrome ventures to solve the murder of his mentor and only friend. Oh. So essentially follows primarily this one guy, but he's in a group of these four dudes that got picked up by um, a private detective and given a job. They're all from an, like, they're all from an orphanage, essentially. Um, and they all basically turn into these private detectives, and unfortunately, his mentor, played by uh, Bruce Willis, gets gets shot uh, and killed. And he tries to uh, he tries to essentially solve the murder and figure out why and who and how. Um, and the fact that he's got Tourette's syndrome is a very interesting thing to watch. I assume there was no actors going that. Had Tourette's syndrome that could. Uh, That's do, a big talking point these the days, role. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, which. Which what? Like, I get it. Yeah. But at the same time, um, there was a big, big furor about it, about some music artist, Sia, making a. She didn't hire. Uh, what was it? Sia was making some kind of short or a, a project. Uh, right. And, and there's a character, I think, who might have some degree of autism. Okay. 
and there was this big backlash against her because she didn't hire an autistic actor and you're sort of going representation diversity like i understand yeah but at the same time it's called acting yeah like it's it's i get it like i understand it but at the same time yeah from the pieces of media that i've seen of people with tourette's whether it be on the news there's always that there's that one chick on a current affair that has like a yearly a yearly segment on um her struggle with Tourette's. I don't know why it's a thing, but it is. Um, she he plays. I I think he plays someone with Tourette's very well. Um, and Edward Norton. I haven't watched a lot of his movies, but um, I I really really enjoyed this. And it's got it's got a blockbuster cast. Um, you've got Edward Norton, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. He, he, he plays the villain. Very, very good villain. Um, Edward Norton, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe, Bruce Willis. And um, the, the one guy who's played every Italian New Yorker in every movie. James Gandolfini? He's dead. No. Bobby Cannavale. Of course. <laughs> like, he's, he's never not been the Italian dude from New York. Um, I was just, it's a long one as well. Two hours and 24 minutes, Sean. Oh, she's yikes. A, she's a marathon. <laughs> uh, we can't have weekly wa- the weekly watch list because your username's got to be shorter than 15 characters. <sighs> Duh, weekly watch I list? I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> I can't do that to myself. Um, and so, Two, yeah. Sorry, sorry, 224. 224. Where can I find this film? Uh, Netflix. Of course. Um, <laughs> geez, that's, that is a long one, isn't it? It's hard. I was watching this one morning before I had like a midday shift at work. My partner was at um, Chatson doing some Christmas shopping and there was, you know, she's buying presents for KKs and for, pe- for people rah, rah, that we're both going into and I was getting calls every 10, 15 minutes of, you know, what do you think about this? What about this? So basically this? you watch the film in 22 I reckon I watched the episodes. hour. I watched the film in about three and a half hours. Because yeah. <laughs> there was just patches. There was, I, I love it a bit. Maddie, I love you. But. There was bits where I was just like, oh, let's let me watch this damn film. I need to go back and there might have been something important. <laughs> I just said then. But that's the, that's the other product of something we spoke about um, a couple of weeks ago now that film runtimes will, will surely contract yeah. as a result of the streaming 50-minute episodic yeah. event series. You go, geez, two and a half. You're like, if this movie was – if this movie had some like dead spots, I definitely would have turned it off. Mm. But I – Personally, quite enjoyed it, and I love anything shot in the fifties, forties, fifties. Yeah, I just love that era. I would, I would love to have lived through that right now. With at m- my age, mod cons or mod cons, modern conve- conveniences. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it's a because you go back and there's like shit food. Yeah, but then back then there no wasn't phones, no internet. It, you know, they didn't know any better. I don't know, but you would. Mm, but or are you are you, are you saying you're living in that period? With no knowledge of the future. Correct. Okay. I'm just, I was born in, you know, 1930 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Had to, you know, get through famine and whatnot. Yeah. But then live through the 50s and woo, have fun. Buy a house for $14. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Walk to school for 10 <laughs> miles, no shoes. Uh, did you ever watch The Irishman? Yes. See, that's an example of a film that I went and saw that at the cinema because. I wanted to. I wanted to experience yeah. it at the cinema, and um, 
inexcusably long. Yeah. Like inexcusably. It's like what, three and a half or something. Just Ridiculous. like can't justify it. Yeah. You, I sat there and just went, there's still chatter of it being, and there's chatter of once upon a time in Hollywood being a, extended into like a miniseries, yeah. like a four hour, hour an episode miniseries. And you go, would have been great. Would have been brilliant as a three episode, four episode, four 45 minute episodes. You go, awesome. Yeah. You probably would watch them in two sittings, mm. but as a three and a half hour, and I know that we're comparing three and a half to two and a half, but you're like, in this day and age, too long. Yeah. I saw, Way I saw too this long. thing on Twitter or Instagram this week about the scene where Al Pacino's in jail and. Yeah. Tony um, Pro. Yeah. And. They're just like talking across the thing, and then he hits the hits the ball. Have you? Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. And then he's just Stephen like Stephen Graham, I think's the actor. I think so. Yeah, Irish dude. You know what's funny? Irish, Scottish, whatever. Yeah, English, British. Very thick accent. He um he played, uh, he played Billy Bremner in The Damned United. Yeah, it's one of my favorite films. And it was funny. He's popped up in quite a few things, but The Damned United's like ten years old. Yeah, he's been in, he's been in a lot of stuff. Like he's had a good career, but I remember sitting there going in The Irishman. And I was like, oh, Sebastian Maniscalco. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like he's like, a big fan of his. Yeah. And then Stephen Graham pops up and I'm like, where do I know this guy? Yeah. Where do like, I know this guy from? In that scene though, in the jail, you forget that, you know, he's obviously a well-deserved actor, been in roles, but then there's Al Pacino. He goes head like, to head with him. Yeah. And like, and then they, and then there's, there's this great bit where they go, you know, the scene cut and Al Pacino turns to someone and goes, holy shit, that guy scared me. <laughs> and it's just like, he's managed to like, that he will take that to the grave. Oh yeah. He has managed to like shock and wow Al Pacino. Even the great scene where, I know we're meant to be talking about uh, Motherless, Motherless Brooklyn. Brooklyn, but um, even the great scene where De Niro, Pacino and Stephen Graham's characters meet. Yes. They meet at like the country club yeah, where yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you know, I thought... Uh, it was never be late because 10 minutes is too late. He goes, I think 10 minutes is about fine. <laughs> it was that great, that, oh, it was 20 minutes late or yeah, something. Yeah, he goes, yeah, no, yeah. never late. Because it's just disrespectful. That is a great scene. But like the movie, yeah. it's too long. Yeah. Like it's I, an- I watched it on the way to New Zealand and I got to like, it was a three hour flight. I got to like two and a half hours. I was like, <laughs> that, like, that's, God damn, that I'm, scene, I'm really punching through this. <laughs> that scene is the film in a nutshell. Yeah. You're like, it's pretty good. Yeah. But it's like a third too long. Yeah, I was oh, I was really trying to like, because we had to catch a real late flight as well because we had delayed the day before. It was like only to New Zealand. It's not like it was Europe or something, but I was like, man, I'm, you know, at my wit's end with this movie. Anyway, Motherless Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this one scene where um, he says, because obviously they're from uh, orphanages or homes or whatever. Yeah. These 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 men, uh, and he, <laughs> of, course, he of course, these as the title suggests, <laughs> this uh, this and and his nickname given by Bruce Willis is Brooklyn. They're like, hey Brooklyn, but I don't know why he's called Brooklyn. But is he from Brooklyn? Probably, uh, but uh, and then. There's this one scene where he says, I I am motherless Brooklyn and that's why I want to do this. And then like when you kind of come into the movie, you're like, you find out that they're motherless and you're like, but like you know, motherless Brooklyn. Rah, rah, rah. And then you go, I am motherless Brooklyn. You're like, oh, oh there it is. There's oh, a there title. 
That's when you get it. Guys, did you see it? Did you, you see get, it? Did you mention the title? <laughs> um, it's like in a song when they mention the title. Yeah, so having only really experienced Edward Norton with the Hulk. Primal Fear? Yeah. Um, Italian job? I haven't seen that in years. It's I like... it when I was very young. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, Edward Norton did a really good job. Written and directed... Um, I would thoroughly recommend someone watch it. It sounds like... If you've got spare two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got... Just, just watch it in 22 micro yeah. settings. Make sure you have a whole afternoon with no distractions. Watch it like an episode of Bluey. It goes for seven minutes. <laughs> just just watch, watch it in, <laughs> watch it in well, 28 watch it in, sittings. Yeah. Um, well, the cast sounds very impressive. Yeah, I was like... I kept on watching. I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe, Bruce Willis, um, and obviously... Edward Norton and big Bobby of, uh, Cannavale, everyone's favourite Italian. Big fan of most of those people. Yeah. Alec Baldwin, he just does such a good job at playing evil. Bobby Cannavale was in uh, The Irishman as well. Yes, he was. He was. Um, playing a 1950s New York. <laughs> excellent. He just likes That's where he wants to be. It's yeah. like you. Um, the last pick here for me this week is something that I saw an ad for a couple of weeks ago and exciting, excitedly watched. Um, HBO Max, so I don't know what that means. Here, maybe Stan or something. I don't know. <laughs> the mystery of DB Cooper. Now, the, basically, without wanting to spoil anything, it's a hard one to, to talk about. You know, actually, probably probably spoil stuff because they, they're pretty upfront about it. This is one of the quirkiest, most interesting unsolved mysteries in American history. So, just by way of background, the mystery of DB Cooper. You know how many times I had to check myself from saying the mystery of DB Sweeney. DB Sweeney is an actor. Who you could make a show about where he's gone because yep. he just disappeared. Mm-hmm. He played Shoeless Joe Jackson in Eight Men Out, which is a very good film. But the mystery of DB Cooper, super, super interesting unsolved mystery. Basically, by way of context, in 1971, November of 1971, Thanksgiving, somewhere between um, Seattle, Washington, which is funny because you're wearing a Seattle Supersonics hat. And Reno, Nevada. It's actually a very nice green. It is. I love this green. Green is very difficult to yeah. get right, but that, yeah. that hat gets it right. This this green and a nice forest green, I really yeah. enjoy. It really compliments my eyes. Okay. I don't know about that, but it's a nice <laughs> green. Um, so basically somewhere between Seattle and Reno, yep. a man who may have had an alias. Uh-huh. I'm actually not even sure if he signed his name D.B. Cooper or whatever the case was. Cool hijacked name, D.B. Cooper. Well, he hijacked a Northwestern flight. Excellent. So what he did was he demanded $200,000 in cash. Seems right. The plane landed um, somewhere else. Yep. He allowed the passengers to disembark. The crew had to stay with him. plane took off. Yeah. He then opened the rear door of the plane. He was obviously not flying the plane. No, no, no. Right. He opened the rear door of the plane and jumped out with a parachute with the $200,000. He obviously already had a parachute with him. He, he asked for... There's, there's a parachute in the plane. I probably should have said this, sorry. So the plane takes off. Right. He asks the flight crew to radio the ground with his demands. I've got a bomb. I want $200,000 and I want four parachutes. So the plane lands somewhere else. Those three don't work. Well, he just wants to be killed, you know. (laughs) The plane lands. He he basically, they give him the 200 grand. He allows the passengers to disembark. The plane takes off again. And then he opens the back door and jumps out. Excellent. He is never heard or seen from again. They never found a body. Never found a parachute. There's been all sorts of allegations as to whether they found money that he had, that the money that they'd given yeah. him. So it's this incredible, like, unsolved mystery. 1971, 
there is still like, and the film covers all these notable suspects yeah. and, and people who knew these suspects put forward their case as to why the person they knew is D.B. Cooper yeah. and their interaction with them, with them and what they told them. One woman claims that she married a man mm-hmm. and she tells this story about how um, on his deathbed he basically confessed to being D.B. Cooper. One one woman's like a transgender woman who these people like they knew I am D.B. Cooper. Basically like they were making jokes about it and they got a confession, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just think, I suppose I should, should explain, my my interest in it came from, I was a big fan of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the fan theories with Mad Men was that Don Draper was going to be D.B. Cooper. And I was like, I remember reading this and being like, who the fuck's D.B. Cooper? And then reading into it, this guy hijacked a plane, jumped Rabbit out of a plane. Yep. Never heard from, never seen again. Mm-hmm. Still an open case. I think the FBI have actually, the, the, the doco covers it. The FBI in Seattle have closed the case as of a couple of years ago. Because they're just like, well, they're just like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, literally, and there's a guy who like still wanders the forest. He's been doing it every day for like 30 years where he is alleged to have potentially landed. Yeah. And he's like, haven't found a sight of him, haven't found a shred of a parachute, haven't found a cord, haven't found clothes, haven't found remains, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so my interest was from that, from Mad Men. I was like, oh, okay, there's this theory that Don Draper will disappear. He'll be D.B. Cooper and he'll disappear. Right. And that obviously that didn't eventuate. So when this came up, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I, I know the name. I read into the thing a couple of years ago and I know the story. But I suppose the film just chronicles how this daring stunt like just completely captured the imagination of America at the time and how that lingers there are still people to this day that are like trying to figure it out that are wrapped up in this mystery of like how did it happen how did you get away with it where could he have landed there's this great scene where they found they find this money like in a in a um uh in a beach like this and this guy has got a map of all the waterways in the area and he's like mapped out the currents to go like for the money to have ended up here Mm. it would have had to have been dropped here yeah. That's like the extent these people are living out this, fuck, I've just got to know. One of the weirdest stories I've ever heard. It's bizarre. And to be honest with you, I think that, I think it's a, a classic truth is stranger than fiction tale. Mm. And it embraces everything from the really fanciful to some of the more plausible. It explores the motives. Like there's this whole thing about Boeing being in Seattle and then Boeing was shutting down and people losing their jobs and they've got all these file footage like interviews with people on the street going oh what do you make of DB Cooper and people going oh he's a great good on him you can get away with it yeah great so this Robin Hood sort of aspect of people going it's not my money so yeah doesn't bother me like if he gets away with it he gets away with it which is interesting um it's a bit like Zodiac the movie Zodiac which is a David Fincher film from 2007 which is an excellent movie about a very famous true crime mm. that doesn't doesn't claim to have the answers that perhaps a traditional film would give you. So it gives you all these suspects and it doesn't lean one way or the other as I think it's this person, I think it's this person. The film basically leaves you to go, might be suspect one maybe, yeah. maybe it was three. But at the same time, I found myself sitting there going, we'll never know. Yeah. Now that might be a that might be a cop out for some people, it might rankle some people to be mm. like I want a conviction. I want, who was it? Yeah. Do you have any new evidence? Who was this guy? So in the same way that Zodiac sort of ends with saying, maybe it was this guy, but we actually won't ever know. 
this film ends with all the evidence that these sort of acquaintances put to you and make you sort of go, well, what do you reckon? And I think I'm just more interested, like you mentioned, I'm just probably more interested in the stunt mm. than who did it. Yeah. You're probably more interested in, geez, this guy, like he got away with whoever it was, like in the sense that whilst there was an enormous stretch of forest that he dropped into, this dense, extraordinary, unforgiving forest, you're like, in 50 years, I would someone would have found something, something. Yeah. Remains part of the parachute, the money, because it was put in like a duffel bag, something. But for there to be nothing found, you're like, he fucking probably did get away with it. And just, he got, unless he got sucked into the turbine of a passing well, plane. Oh, pa- how fucking close would that plane have to be, Will? <laughs> there, was, there was a plane tailgating the other plane. Um, but look, I don't know. Part of me sits there and watched the film and went, geez, maybe I think he, in particularly 1971, you can, he just disappeared. Yeah. He's disappeared, you know? So the mystery of D.B. Cooper, um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think the story itself is probably more interesting than perhaps the documentary. The documentary was still good and an interesting watch. um, But you sort of find yourself reading the story, reading the theories and and falling down that Wikipedia rabbit hole. That's probably just as much fun. But um, no, an interesting film. Wow. Yeah, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever heard of, ever. You probably go look into it yourself now. I probably will, yes. Um, My last pick is one of the all-time classics. I'd seen like you know, thirds of the movie for years. The same third, like the middle bit, the last bit. So I knew how it went. But I watched it all the way through for the first time uh, on, let's take a think, Saturday night. 17-year-old movie now. Old school? No. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers? No, I've seen all of them from start to finish. 2003. 2003. What genre? Uh, rom-com. Oh, I love actually. Yes. I saw you watch this. Yes. Um, yeah, just quality film. I feel like there's one. Of, it's one of those films that just like no explanation needed. You've either seen it or you haven't. My dad is obsessed with it. <laughs> Maddie's obsessed. My dad loves it. It's so weird. Um, Maddie loves it. She's all about it. It's a, one of her favourite movies ever. Um star-studded uh you know throwing back to early 2000s Kira Knightley oh. you know what's funny about it too um, like she is sexy they tried to do the whole like America tried to do it with like yeah. Valentine's Day New Year's Day or New Year's Eve sorry Valentine's Day is all right but like they tried to yeah um, uh oh what was the other one um Bradley Cooper was in it Scarlett Johansson yeah, um, um he's just not that into you all like America tried to, they yeah. were like, geez, Love Actually was really good. And um, Richard Curtis is a great director, you know, yeah. Notting Hill. Uh-huh. Did wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral and the like. They were like, geez, that, yeah, no, Love Actually was like really good. And they tried to just comp- steal the formula. Yeah. No. No. Um, so, yeah, you've got, uh, and uh, Thomas Brody Sangster, that obviously plays the young boy uh, who plays the drums in it. He's still. Kicking on. Nice to see that he hasn't succumbed to was he in, um, um, drugs. And he was in Star Wars. He, he was was like someone on the deck. Yeah, turns around to old mate redhead. Yeah, Dom Gleason. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, he just got a little. That's gig in fucking it. thingo. He was in the Maze Runner. Yes. Oh, I. That is a series I love. Yeah. 
I the love meal, I miss that oh, completely. I love it. It's, it's gripping for me. Gripping. Gripping. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got uh, Bill Nye, who's hilarious as Billy Mac, that washed up rock star. <laughs> um, he just couldn't care less. Martin Freeman, who <laughs> they're like fluffers on like a. They're like they're not even that. They're like standings <laughs> for lighting. Lighting. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's like a porn set or like a or yeah. like a movie set, but it's the it's the weirdest. Story. Like, how did they go? Two people, random. The impression stand-in. I got was that it was like a movie set. Yeah, and then I, I love how they're set. all linked in at the end, um, and you see kind of bits and pieces that Colin Frizzle. Brilliant yeah. character. He's got a big knob um, in the airport when he's going off to America. Uh, yeah, Where did he good. go? Went to like Wisconsin or something. Wisconsin yeah. and there's like these four like hot girls that he's like. Elijah uh, Cuthbert was one. Yeah. Denise Richards. At, at the end. Yeah. She comes in. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, so it's, it's a funny movie. I don't think I love it and adore it like people do. I I'll, get, I'll I give it a once it. every two or three years watch. It's like, not an every year watch. Like, I get it. Yeah. I get why for some people, some people at Christmas time, it's, see, for me and, and in our family, it's Christmas vacation. Yeah. It's sort of the annual watch. For some people, it would be Elf. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people, it's Love Actually. I think as a pure film, like, I get it. I get why people like it. What's your Christmas film? Probably Christmas Vacation. Okay. Um, My one when I was younger was Santa Claus, Tim Allen. Yeah. Yeah, but, see, I get it. It was. It got to the point. It's got to the point now where Mum was just like, "Let's put on Santa Claus." I'm like, "No, I'm so I'm over a grown it. adult. <laughs> like, I'll I need watch it alone else. later." <laughs> <laughs> Mom, <laughs> I'll put that um, on when I feel like it. Yeah, but, it's just good. Like, I get it. it. As I was saying, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But in terms of those films that like Richard Curtis had made, for me, like Notting Hill is mm. top of the pops. Yeah, that's the best of the best. I think Love Actually is good. I really liked About Time. That has Bill Nye in it as well. Domhnall Gleeson. The yes, idea being actually, that they, no. they can all time travel back to specific moments yes, in, in their great life. Great film. Great film. And uh, Rock the Boat with Bill Nye. Didn't like that at all. No? That was called Pirate Radio in certain markets. I just, I didn't get it. I'm, about Time, It yes. sounded like such a fun premise, but I remember seeing it and being like, ah, oh, it just didn't land it, man. How sexy is Rachel McAdams? Yes. Oh. But... Like, for me, like I said, About Time is one of those films that I feel like not enough people have seen, but those who have seen... About Time. Like it. Like, yes. those who have seen it are yeah, like, yeah, great yeah. film. You look at it, you're like, yeah, like rom-com or like, you know, romance. Oh, mm. how good is it? I said to him, Faber Ganoush, shout out to Faber Ganoush. Hey, Fab. I said, um, I don't think he'd seen it. I think Tim, Tim had seen it. And uh, I said to him, oh, you'll be the bit at the end when he goes to see his dad for the last time. Yeah. And he goes, oh, this is it. And they go back to when he was a little boy. Yeah. Oh, so I said, I go to Fab, I go, you'll be in bits. I go, you'll be in fucking pieces. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I don't know if you ever watched it, but Tim was like, oh, I was, I was done. Because yeah. I was done. And I said, the whole film is an excuse. It's like, um, ah, what was it? Um, Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button, the whole, Benjamin Button. The Didn't whole, like it. It's the most brilliant looking film ever made. Like it looks great. Fucking ridiculous shot. I just I was really like hmm. David Fincher, shout out to David Fincher. Mm. Um Benjamin Button, the whole film is about the shot it's an excuse. It's like yeah. a two and hour, twenty minute excuse to get to the shot at the end where Daisy, played by Kate Blanchett, is walking an infant 
Benjamin Button. Benjamin mm. Button's like a little baby toddler. Yeah. And she's holding his hand. And I was like, the whole film is like a two and a half hour excuse for that shot. Mm. Whereas About Time is like a two hour excuse to be like, to get to that moment. If that was the case, a weird situation. So I don't know the whole, I can't remember the whole premise of the movie, but at one point, are they like lovers? Benjamin Button. And Kate Yeah, Benjamin. yeah, yeah. At what point of him reversing... Does she go, okay, no more kisses? They sort of cover it because he gets like, he gets dementia. But he's As like, a young person. He gets dementia, but he's like 80, but he looks 14. 16, right. whatever it might be. So that's when she cares for him and like she dies with him. How weird. It's very strange. Yeah. Some parts of it are f- like amazing. Yeah. Um, like genuinely just brilliant, like really, really r- just top shelf. Um, but we, we say, we say a lot of films, you've got to pay it the courtesy of yeah, yeah suspension yeah. of disbelief. But no, about time, like if you have not seen that film and if mm-hmm. you like those Four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. even stuff like About a Boy, which yes. is a similar kind of vein, mm-hmm. obviously Love Actually, Notting Hill, um, About Time is friggin' great. Mm. So Just such an easy watch. Definitely an easy watch. Um, and there's good little bits in the like really nice scenes in there. You've got Don't um, say it. Don't say the Rowan Connolly scene. Rowan Connolly. Rowan um Atkinson. That is a funny scene. Oh. But no, just because it's Rowan Atkinson. I, I must be one of the I only people who is just immune to Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> um, you've got uh, the obviously the drumming scene at the end when yes. the boy finally gets the look and like the and you and he's just like oh, but then but then she starts going and you and you and you and then he starts going ah fuck you <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh, I'm just gonna keep drumming and get really angry um, and obviously the prime minister scene yes. when he's dancing around classic classic scene um, yeah just and Liam Neeson a lot younger obviously than the last 10-15 years. Um, <laughs> You say that like, like he's not allowed I, to age. I feel like, yeah, but I feel like Liam Neeson for me is this like older star that used to be in really good films for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And he's still like a, you know, can play like a 40-year-old, 45-year-old man in he this. can play anywhere from 40 to 65. Yeah, um, whereas he's getting on now. Uh, but uh, yeah, Love Actually, 2003 film. Very, very easy watch. Um, if... Yeah, there'd be a, most people would have seen this, I would think. But if you haven't, mm. give it a watch. Very easy. Was it on TV or did you stream it? No, streamed it. Um, It'll probably be on TV pretty soon. Yeah, just be, obviously that time of year, Christmas movies coming in. For some reason, we've got this nice brand new telly at home, and all of the streaming platforms other than Stan just decided not to work. Oh, just didn't load, or sound wasn't working. Luckily, Stan was, um, and it was on Stan. So it's your time, Stan. Yeah, Stan. Stan's pulling through at the moment. I can't watch Netflix, even though I've got shares in them. <laughs> you do. You can, <laughs> there was a tweet I saw before from Netflix. Tell us what you're watching. So fucking Will's watching everything. Um, well, very good. What was your pick of the week? My pick of the week is going to be Gangs of London. Okay, I'm obsessed. I actually found myself. I watched like six. Di- I consumed six different things this week. Mm. And that was the first time since recording this podcast I've, re- I've watched more than like four. You actually gave yourself some options. Yeah. I was thinking of, oh, what can I, you know, but then tw- two or three of those times I found myself just like coming into other people's movies and yep. just watching it. So um, I watched Doolittle. Terrible. Yeah. Really Odd. bad. I can barely understand Robert Downey Jr. Awful. Um, 
nice little features here and there with it's a, look, it is, it's, actors it is with voices and stuff. A kids show, yeah, like in the vein of but those. It needs to stay with Eddie Beethoven Murphy. and like should never have been made. It's made for like kids like four to seven. Yeah, like it is. It's a curious film to watch though. If you watch it, knowing the history, Stephen Gagan, who won an Oscar for Traffic, I want to say uh, that might be wrong, but like a storied writer, yeah, wrote and directed it. He'd written a film called written and directed a film called Gold a couple of years ago with yeah. Edgar Ramirez in it and Matthew McConaughey, which was sort of okay. Doolittle is one of those films in retrospect. Why did they spend so much money on it? Yeah, like you're just going, this is a money pit. You have got a no 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 no. And then every every five or six years, Downey needs to do a British accent, Sherlock and Chaplin and obviously Doolittle. And there's so much dialogue like off camera, like they've shot the movie, it's a complete fucking mess and the only way they can fix it is with ADR off camera. Mm. So there's a lot of like Doolittle walks down the hallway but he's talking yeah, because you can just make him say whatever you need him to say. Exactly. Um, He mumbles the whole film. It's not good. And I, I... I don't know about you, but I love watching movies with subtitles. I hate not knowing what people are saying. Oh, yeah. If there's – like anything I watch will have subtitles. No question. If there's subtitles, they're on. <laughs> and I was just like – and I was, but I was watching it with Maddie's family and they didn't have the subtitles on. I was like, I, I'm lost. I'm, and I was like on the side of the Shout couch. Shout out to Maddie. Next time, just chuck the subtitles on. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I, was, I was on the side of the couch, the very comfy side. There's like a well-used side of the couch, which yeah. everyone sits on. I was on the comfy side and like not really concentrating. I was just like, do- I found myself dozing off. I was like, this is really hard to get through. It was. It's not good. It's not a good movie. No. Um, so Gangs of London's your pick. Gangs of London uh, on Stan. Unbelievable. My pick, whilst I absolutely love The Mandalorian, that was obviously because I've put in quite a few years of watching stuff <laughs> to lead up to this, yeah. like the various TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a, a, a very, very high degree of payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, my pick is Empire of Dreams. Yeah. Absolutely outstanding documentary. Could not recommend you watch it anymore, whether you like Star Wars or not. It's just a great watch. It's yeah. just a great behind-the-scenes look at how it went from being nothing mm-hmm. to arguably the biggest you know, um, property in media, you can yeah. make an argument now for stuff like Marvel mm-hmm. or Pixar. Disney don't care because they own it all. Um, but yeah, Empire of Dreams, absolutely outstanding. Could not recommend it anymore. Nice. Nice. Uh, nice. Where can they find you, Will? Um, Willie P on basically everything yep. and the weekly watch list on Instagram. Watch list um, weekly on Twitter. Yeah. That explains why we couldn't have the weekly watch list. How can you shorten it? You can't. Nah, you shorten it, can you? Not really. It's annoying. It is annoying. Uh, you can find me at Sean Peterbudge, all one word. Um, that's, that's about it. That's it. This is for another episode, I think. So thank you so much for listening in. If you do listen in and do enjoy, do us a favour. Chuck us a like, a subscribe, yeah. a review. Yeah. Get in touch with us with what you're watching, what you're enjoying. You want to sponsor us so we can start making money from that's this. True. That's true. That's, really that's, always, that's always good. Um, but yeah, just get in touch, obviously. If you've watched something that we've watched, let us know what you thought. Let us know what you made of it. Hit us up. Well, we'll speak to you in a week or two's time, I suppose. So long. Farewell. Avita Sen. Uh, Good yeah. night. Goodbye. <laughs>